the Shift HR radio download, where our mission is to serve as a valuable resource that will empower you to make positive and meaningful impacts in your workplace. My name is Karen Byington, and I will be your host today. So it's been well over a year since the start of the Me Too movement began awakening our country to how pervasive the issue of sexual harassment is in our workplace. And we are now starting to see some material results from this movement in the form of new legislation. So today, Shift's founder and employment law attorney, Catherine Nook Freeman, is here to give us an update on some new legislation passed by the state of New York that should have employers sitting up and paying very close attention. So thanks for coming to give us an update today, Catherine. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. So we knew from the start of the Me Too movement that this wasn't going to be a movement that was going to pass quietly by. But I think many experts are surprised at just how quickly many states and local governments have really jumped to action on the issue of sexual harassment. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really been remarkable. Um, traditionally, we've been used to change on these types of issues happening at more like a snail's pace. But as you can imagine, the whole Me Too movement, the Time's Up movement, They've been incredibly effective in bringing to light the issues related to sexual harassment and gender discrimination in particular, and prompting change on so many different levels. Right. But today we're going to focus on the most recent legislative changes to come out of New York State. So can you just give us a brief overview of that new legislation? Yes. So Assembly Bill AB8421 effectively changes the standards by which a victim can claim harassment. So that previously, in order to prove a case of harassment, a victim needed to prove that the harassment was either severe or pervasive, not both, one or the other. Well, victim advocates um, often claim that this severe or pervasive standard was really an unfair barrier to justice for these victims. Is New York State the first one to change this standard? No. As, as usual, California did away with the severe and pervasive standards um, before New York and now relies on a standard that asks merely if a reasonable person would find the alleged harassment altered working conditions enough to make the job more difficult without any severe or pervasive requirement. And in addition, courts in New York City, as opposed to the state, also eliminated the severe and pervasive standard years ago. Um, but still, you know, being that being said, this new legislation puts New York State in the pool of jurisdictions with the strongest workplace protections. All right. So in addition to the new standards um, eliminating the severe and pervasive standard, uh, what other significant impacts does this legislation have? Yeah, there, there are other significant impacts. So the one of the other significant changes is that the bill effectively eliminates an employer's so-called Farragher-Ellerth defense. And this is really a famous defense that we employment lawyers have relied upon for years. Okay. So for those of us who are not employment lawyers, can you just give us a little background and explain what that Farragher-Ellerth defense is? Absolutely. So the Farragher-Ellerth defense gets its name from a pair of 1998 Supreme Court decisions that shield from liability employers who can prove that they exercised reasonable care to prevent and then to correct any sexual harassment that occurred, and they can show that the employee who is now complaining of harassment unreasonably failed to take advantage of any corrective opportunities that the employer provided to employees. For example, the employee failed to complain to human resources even though the company had a clear policy 
requesting employees to bring harassment complaints to HR's attention. Got it. So I assume this decision in 1998 helped protect unwitting employers from liability when they were trying to do the right thing or were setting up um, the right processes. But what was the consequence of the decision that made this new legislation bypass that? Right. Well, 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 we can all generally understand that employers want some type of protection from employees who don't follow internal processes who are there, which are there for a reason, um, and employees who don't give their employers the opportunity to remedy a situation before going straight to court and filing a harassment lawsuit. The Farragher-Ellerth defense, in practice, uh, ended up preventing a number of victims uh, from seeking justice because they were afraid of retaliation, of bringing the complaints forward, and so never brought forward their complaints to their organizations through the requested channels. Okay, so before this new law, a victim was prevented from filing a lawsuit if they hadn't first complained about the incident to their employer in some way. Exactly, exactly. And so, as you can imagine, this made it especially difficult for anyone who had a complaint against a supervisor or a senior leader or an owner of the company or an executive, whereas the new law says that the fact that harassment accusers did not complain about how they were treated will not determine whether the employer will be liable. Okay. So what other changes in this legislation do New York employers need to be paying attention to? There are a number of different areas. So the new legislation also makes it easier for employees to prove harassment based on age, race, national origin, sexual orientation, and other protected categories which are shielded from discrimination under state law, not just sex, because of this lower standard. So the lower standard applies across the board to protected categories, not just sex. And again, the conduct no longer needs to be severe or pervasive in in order for somebody to, to make a cause of action. Got it. So complaining employees no longer have to prove it was severe or pervasive, whether it was sexual harassment or some sort of harassment based on a protected category. Exactly. And in addition to that, the bill includes all of these protected categories that I just mentioned, race, age, national origin, etc., in a provision that prohibits employers from making workers sign non-disclosure agreements as a condition of their discrimination settlements. So what that means is employers who used to say, well, I can just pay to make this problem go away. I can get an employee who's complaining about harassment to sign a non-disclosure agreement so they can never speak about this alleged harassment that occurred. Well, now they can no longer ask somebody to sign away their rights to not disclose that. So if the employer pays the employee, the employee still can disclose the existence of what they believe to have been harassing treatment. So companies who really care about their brand reputation and their image and the PR related to their companies, they need to understand there's there's really going to be no such thing as hush money anymore. Um, and this new legislation also blocks agreements between workers and employers directing employment discrimination claims to arbitration. And again, usually if if complaints are brought through the litigation process through the court system, that's when they become more publicly known and aware. And so employers used to be able to more freely um, require that claims be uh, dealt with through arbitration. And according to this provision, you can no longer do that. I can tell you that this is going to be challenged, and there are already some successful challenges out there. But 
it does in fact state that you can't require arbitration. Got it. So meaning as long as this is not overturned in any way, employees cannot be forced into internal negotiations as a way to keep the details of a harassment quiet. That's right. That's right. And another important development out of this legislation is that it provides for punitive damages in discrimination cases. So again, this creates a big incentive for employers to do everything they possibly can to prevent bias incidents from happening in the workplace because there's just so much more at stake now. Yeah. So what can employers do to step up prevention? Well, as you can imagine, we've given a lot of thought to this. As, as an employment lawyer um, who's counseled employers for over 25 years, you know, my feeling is that organizations really need to continue to do whatever they can to invest the time and resources in building a workplace culture that doesn't lend itself to discriminatory and harassing behavior. Focus on all the behaviors you want to see. Make sure you have a culture that does not allow for any of these types of behaviors. And that means starting with a clear message from the organization's standards and expectations that comes from the very highest levels within the organization. And then beyond that messaging, of course, that message needs to be put into practice in everything the organization does, from how it recruits and hires employees to how it makes promotional decisions to how it handles misconduct that is, you know, that's brought to its attention, to, of course, the quality of the training educating employees on these issues. Right. So what else can they employers do to make sure that this message is heard and taken seriously? I, I generally say employers really need to put their money where their mouth is. And so one way organizations can show they're serious about their intentions is, again, to invest the time and resources in everything they're doing to prevent and correct these issues, including high-quality training. And as you can imagine, I'm, I'm always focused on the training since I'm, I'm running a, a training company. But employers really want to make sure everyone in their workforce has a clear understanding of what constitutes harassment in the workplace versus appropriate behavior and what a supervisor's role is in addressing harassment when it occurs. Because supervisors are going to be on the front line, as they always are, and here there's so much more at stake if they are not fulfilling their responsibilities. So employers are going to want to drill down to the nuances of everyday workplace interactions to make sure all employees, supervisors and non-supervisors alike, understand where those fine lines are and when they're crossed. Um, And in addition, not only training on strict compliance issues like what's illegal harassment versus what's not, I think it's also a really good idea to make sure that An employer trains its workforce on the softer skills that really help create the type of work culture and environment that will not leave room for these types of systemic harassment issues, but will instead create a more inclusive environment. So really taking the resources to train employees on civility, inclusion, respect, how to be an upstander are all incredibly important components of making sure you, as a good corporate citizen, are building an environment that is less likely to lead to harassing or discriminatory behaviors. Right. Such great advice, Catherine. So I know this legislation can look a bit daunting to employers, and I hope that the upside will be that more employers actually follow your advice and really see the benefits in investing in culture in their workplaces. And in the end, um, the legislation will do what it's, you know, the purpose will be that it lives out in creating better workplaces for everybody. 
Absolutely. That, that's, that's everyone's goal. Yeah. So, Catherine, thank you so much for taking the time to fill us in on these latest legislative updates and imparting us with your advice, uh, imparting all that great advice to our listeners. Um, and listeners, if you would like any more information about what we've been talking about today or would like to see a demo of any of Shift's training courses, please reach out to us. We're at getshifthr.com, and we hope to hear from you soon. Take care, everyone. <laughs>